to everybody this morning to open your Bible with me to the book of Romans, chapter 4, verses 9 through 16. Romans 4, 9 through 16, a sermon titled today, Father Abraham and Many Sons. And right away, many of you are calling to mind the, the lyrics to the old song and, and the movements that went with it. And uh, many of you are familiar with that song, with that story, and others of you are like, I have no earthly clue what you're talking about. And that's fine too. But uh, what I want us to understand is that song is more than just a catchy tune and more than just some uh, fun movements. It illustrates a wonderful truth. We've been looking in the book of Romans over the last couple of months, this theme of right with God and what it takes for an individual to stand before God and, and to be accepted by Him, to be declared just. Uh, to be declared right in the eyes of a holy God. And last time, Paul has provided for us Abraham as an example, as, as the example of someone being justified, of being right with God. And that was done by faith. To validate his point, Paul quotes from Genesis 15:6, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And if Abraham is the example of how a person is to be right with God, we should follow his example, right? And so you and I should become part of Abraham's family by trusting in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Abraham provides for us the example, the only way to be right, to be right with God is through faith, specifically by trusting in the promises of God, accepting Christ Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. I want to invite you to stand with me if you're able at this time, and we do this out of reverence for the reading of God's Holy Word. Romans chapter 4, starting at verse 9. And Paul writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham which he had while uncircumcised for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law but through the righteousness of faith for if those who are of the law are heirs faith is made void and the promise is nullified for the law brings about wrath but where there is no law there also is no violation for this reason it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is father of us all. Let's pray together. Mighty God, we come before you with uh, humility and reverence this morning as the holy God, as the one who is truly worthy of worship and praise. We gather today, Lord, as the family of God, assembled 
together, united in the Spirit of Christ. We come together at this time, Lord, focusing our, our attention on these ancient words that you have provided for us, that by faith we can enter into a relationship with you. And by your grace, Lord, we can only imagine how beautiful and how wonderful it will be to stand before you or kneel before you, being fully accepted, even though we are sinners. We can and will be saved by grace through faith. Lord, bless the study of your word at this time. May it speak to our minds. May it speak to our hearts. May it change us and transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul begins in verse 9 with this statement, Is the blessing then... And so we see right away the context, the connection that this passage has with the one that came before it because we see the word then. What's he talking about? Is this blessing then? What blessing? Well, the blessing, literally, he just talked about at the end of our text last week, verse 6, as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. By quoting Psalm 32, what, Abraham, or what Paul is showing here is that Abraham was declared right with God and that involves forgiveness of sin. To be right with God, we must have our sins forgiven. And so we looked at the end of chapter 3. Paul made a couple of statements here in the end of chapter 3 that he's now unpacking for us here in verse or in chapter 4. The end of chapter 3, verse 27, where then is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And that's what he showed to us from Abraham's life last time. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, he was showing that man is right not by law, but by faith. And then in chapter 3, verse 29 and 30, he says, Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, is one. So now today, Paul's focusing on those verses, showing us that God is not only the God of the Jews, he's the God of the Gentiles and we both have the access to him, and it's through faith alone. Well, first thing we want to see here in verses 9 through 12 is we need to recognize the priority of faith. To be made right with God, we must have faith first. In other words, believing precedes the blessing. We cannot have the blessing of forgiveness, the blessing of righteousness of God without faith. So faith, believing, precedes the blessing. In verse 9 we see, first of all, the practical concern. Paul says, is this blessing, this righteousness, this justice, this, uh, this right standing with God, is that blessing then on the circumcised, in other words, the Jews, or on the uncircumcised also? It's a very relevant question. It's an important question. It's a practical question. Is the blessing of being right with God, is it reserved only for the Jews? 
Or is it also available for the Gentiles? Do you need to become a Jew by obedience to the law of Moses in order to be accepted by God? That was a question they were really wrestling with in the first century of Christianity. Today we kind of think, well, no, you don't, you don't have to be a Jew, but this was a very relevant and a very valid question because depending on how it's answered, it has a, a dramatic impact on us today, right? Do we need to become Jews in order to be accepted by God? So theology matters didn't just matter for Paul's audience. It matters for us today. We need to understand these truths that God has spelled out for us in His Word. Is the blessing then on the Jews only, but also on the uncircumcised? He says, for we say faith was credited, it was given to Abraham as righteousness, as a right standing with God the practical concern. And then Paul brings out the chronological concern. As he's going to try to answer that question, he shows us in verse 10 here, how then was it credited? This righteousness that God credits to the account of Abraham. How was it done? Well, we know it's, it's passive here, so it is God doing the crediting. Abraham did not credit himself as righteous. God did that for him. The Lord did this. But when? It's an important question. While he was circumcised, in other words, after the physical removal of the foreskin, while he was circumcised or when he was uncircumcised? And then Paul answers the question, it was not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Before, the, before any physical action on his part, it was his believing, it was his trust in the Lord's promise that declared him right. Abraham was declared right by God by believing. Righteousness was credited. Genesis chapter 15. Righteousness was credited to Abraham. And then 14 years later came the command to be circumcised. Genesis 17. So Abraham was right with God. He was justified by God. He had a right standing with the Lord a whole decade and a half before the physical action of circumcision. It's an important point to Paul's arguments, the chronological concern. The next is the evidential concern. If circumcision was the physical removal of the male foreskin, then, then what's that all about? Why did God command that? Well, verse 11, it says, He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith. So this action of circumcision, it was a sign to point to something. It was a seal to provide assurance and a down payment for Abraham to, to trust in what God had done. It was the physical action that pointed to a spiritual truth. The removal of the skin was to signify the removal of sin from the heart of Abraham. He had been set apart by God. It was an outward side of an inward change. And you will hear that said oftentimes about the act of baptism. And it's similar. And there are theologians that argue that baptism is the New Testament equivalent to circumcision, but there is a distinction, an important distinction. 
In the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign, a physical sign, that a person was a physical descendant of Abraham. In the New Testament, baptism is a sign of a spiritual truth that by faith I am a descendant of Abraham. So baptism requires faith, the act on the individual first. That's why we believe in and practice believers' baptism. But circumcision was a sign or a seal that God commanded to Abraham after he was right by faith. Then we see the cultural concern, verses 11 and 12, as verse 11 continues. Paul says here, He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of faith, which he had while he was uncircumcised, so that, it's the purpose clause, what was the purpose, what was the meaning of the command of circumcision? He received that so that he might be the father of all who believe, without being circumcised. And so we would think that Paul would say here first that he was circumcised to become the father of the Jews, if that was a sign of Judaism. But Paul here puts the opposite into effect. Why would he do that first? Why would he mention the uncircumcised first, the Gentiles first? It's because Abraham was made right with God before circumcision. So Abraham here represents everyone and all of humanity and how anyone and everyone can be right with God. It is only by faith. And so, first of all, he is the father of the Gentiles by faith. He's the father of all. And that word all is a small word, but it's a very big word in this passage today. We'll get back to that. But he's the father of all who what? Who believe the verb form of faith Abraham is the representative he is the example he is the father of all who would believe without being circumcised in other words you don't need to be a Jew first to be made right with God you don't have to be a Jew at all he says that righteousness might be credited to them you do not need to become a Jew to be righteous in the eyes of God it is by faith. However, he is also the father of the Jews. As Paul points out in verse 12, he is the father of circumcision, he's the father of Jews, to those who are not only of the circumcision, but here's an important, an important truth in Paul's argument, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of Father Abraham which he had while uncircumcised. It's a very important truth because he's the father of the circumcision in the flesh, but that's not enough. He says, but who also, verse 12, who are not only of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of faith. In other words, Paul is saying, just because you're a physical descendant of Abraham, just because you have the physical sign of circumcision, that does not make you a Jew. From our earthly point of view, it might look that way, but Paul has already made that argument back in chapter 2, verse 28, 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Holy Spirit, 
not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. So here, Paul is saying, Abraham's the father of the Gentiles who have faith in the promises. He's the father of the Jews who have circumcision, but who also have faith. To be a true Jew, according to Paul, is to have faith in the promises of God fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Important truth, we'll get back to that here in just a moment. But the physical sign does not necessarily represent a spiritual reality. When I was in middle school, letterman jackets were a popular thing. I don't see very many of those today. I don't know if it's a thing or not, but when I was in middle school, they were. You know, you get the, the, the jacket. Uh, ours, when I went to Concrite uh, Junior High School, as it was called then, I had the red jacket with the white C on it, and it was, it was like multi-purpose because you could get that in middle school, and provided you didn't outgrow it by the time you got to high school, you could wear it again because it would be C for Clark County, you know. But they had these little emblems that you could purchase and sew onto your, your letter, representing you know, that you belong to one of the teams. Well, I was in Concrete. I was a member of the academic team. And so I bought the little logo, the little emblem that had the, the lamp. It kind of looked like Aladdin's lamp and had that sewed onto my C there, real proud of it. And, and nobody had a clue what that was. What's that on your C? It's like, it's like you know, the, the lamp. What's that for? You know, I'm on the... I'm on the academic team. You know, but the thing is, you could go and purchase the emblems for whatever team you wanted. You could get a basketball sewed on there, a football sewed on there, and you could pretend because you had the emblem that you belonged to that particular team until somebody saw that and they'd call you out on it, you know, and that'd be embarrassing, but you could do it. However, just because you had that emblem just because you had that sign did not necessarily mean that you belonged. You had to belong first, and then the emblem was to represent the belonging. That was circumcision. According to Paul, you had to have faith first. That made you right with God. That brought you into the family of God. And faith makes you a, a, a son of Abraham. And then, for the Jews, the physical act of circumcision was the sign of that faith that you had that already made you right with God. And then we can equate that to whatever we want to in our culture today. Walking the aisle, getting baptized, becoming a member of the church. All those things should follow after saving faith. The priority of faith. Abraham demonstrates that. Paul points that out. We must recognize it. But secondly, Paul in the next few verses says that we must receive the promise by faith. Like Abraham, we must be standing on the promises of God. He is a faithful God. He made a promise to Abraham. Abraham believed that God would keep his word. And so Abraham trusted in the promise of God. That's faith. You and I must exercise that same faith, trusting in the promises of God fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Receive the promise by faith. As Paul here in these next few verses, the word promise comes over and over again. Promise and faith, promise and faith. He keeps emphasizing those two things. In the first verses, 9 through 12, credited, credited, credited. And then now, promises, faith, promises, faith. That's how it happens. We see the greatness of the blessing. We already said, according to David in Psalm 32, 
The blessing of God is to have forgiveness of sin. Paul said in verse 9, is this blessing on Jew or Gentile? It's on either. If we have faith. Paul says in verse 13, the promise to Abraham or to his descendants, literally, or to his seed, singular. The promises to Abraham, we find those uh, back in the book of Genesis, Abraham's story, Genesis 12 through 25. We see God promising him descendants, even though he and his wife Sarah were childless at the time, they were advanced in, in age. God promised him a son. God promised many descendants from him. God promised land. He promised territory, what we know as modern-day Palestine. He promised a blessing to Abraham and to bless all of those who belong to Abraham, all the nations, all the families of the earth. That was the promise of God. And the promises were recapitulated time and time again throughout Abraham's life with varied nuances to those promises. But God made that promise and kept reminding and kept repeating the promise to Abraham. I think he did that to kind of to keep Abraham uh, to give him that assurance. Verse thirteen: the promise to Abraham and to, or to his descendants, literally, or to his seed, singular, not many, but one seed of Abraham, that he would be heir of the world. Wow, that's awesome. That's an important thing because nowhere in these promises to Abraham from God back in Genesis. Nowhere does God promise him literally the world. He's promised that, that little territory there in the Middle East, but nowhere the world, the entire globe. So where's Paul coming from? Well, the Jews of Paul's day and Paul himself had come to interpret the promises to Abraham, not just literally with that little territory, but, but spiritually and, and globally. As, as Abraham was to be a blessing to all the world, all the nations, all the families would be blessed through Abraham, it came, it came to mean that through Abraham and through his faith, the entire world that would have been lost to sin, the entire globe and all of humanity would somehow be restored to God and given to Abraham's people. Who's Abraham's people? Paul says those who have faith in the promises of God. Jew and Gentile alike. It's an important argument for Paul. Because remember, Paul's writing to the church in Rome. The church in Rome was comprised of both Gentile and Jew. It's a very practical matter for them to consider. Okay, you know, are, are Jewish brothers, are they somehow superior to us because they're physically descended from Abraham? Paul says, no. Nothing wrong with the sign of circumcision as long as the heart is circumcised first. That's what matters. But Abraham and his seed was to be an heir of all the world. But not through the law. Not through human efforts. Not by trying to be good. Not by trying to obey the commands of God. Nuh -uh, that's not how it happens. But through the righteousness of faith. Being made right with God by faith. That is how we receive these great promises. Not just of, of a little bit of territory, but the entire world through faith in Christ. The promise uh, to, to Abraham fulfilled through the Great Commission go into all the, what? all the world. That is how the promise to Abraham is fulfilled in Christ through the preaching of the gospel to all the nations, Jew, Gentile, 
Abraham's seed through faith receives, inherits the earth. Sound like something Jesus said in the Beatitudes, isn't it? Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. The greatness of the blessing. Then we see the grasp of the blessing. Now, how, do we, how do we understand this? How do we, how do we receive it? Verse 14, For because it's not through the law, it's by faith, because, verse 14, if those who are of the law are heirs, then faith is made void and the promise is nullified. Paul says, okay, where are you going to stand? Are you going to stand on the promise of God by faith or are you going to stand on the law and your ability to stay good and earn God's favor? What's it going to be? If you choose the law, then you are rejecting faith and therefore the promise is nullified because you don't have to trust in a promise. You're trusting in yourself. And so the grasp of this blessing is you've got to choose. Your pathway to the blessing. Is it through your efforts and your goodness and your works? Or is it through humble, simple trust in God? Through the work of Christ. That's the grasp of it. If you're trusting in the law, then the promise is nullified. You're not trusting in a promise. You're trusting in yourself. And then he speaks about the gravity of the blessing. And here's bad news for those claiming the law instead of the promise. Verse 15, For because the the faith is void and the promise is nullified, because this, the law brings about wrath. If that's your hope, the promise of God brings about wrath. Forgiveness. The blessing is forgiveness. The law brings about wrath. Paul already said the work of the law was not to save. No one could be saved. Back in chapter 3, by the law, the law points out sin. The law is meant to drive you to Christ. If you're trusting in your ability to be good enough for God, you're going to receive the full wrath of you. You're already under the wrath of God. Paul's argued in chapters 1 through 3. If you're not trusting the promises of God in Christ Jesus, you're under the wrath of God already. Even John chapter 3 says the very same thing. For those who do not believe, they're already under the wrath of God. For the law brings about wrath. He says, but where there is no law, there is no violation. And on the surface, we might read that to say, well, those who don't have the law of God... There's no sin. They're saved. Is that what he's saying? Absolutely not. He's already argued against that very thing in chapters 1 through 3. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. doesn't matter if you had the law or not. In fact, in chapter 5, he says that, that sin reigned and death reigned from Adam all the way to the law. So he does not mean if you don't have the law of God, you're saved. It can't mean that or else he's contradicting himself. So what does it mean? In context... Remember, the context is trusting in the law to earn your forgiveness. And Paul says, if there's no law, then there's no violation. But you're already saying you trust the law, therefore there is violation. So the bad news for those who are claiming works to earn themselves God's favor, he says you've already violated that law. If that's your hope and that's your claim, then there is violation and there is wrath. It's the gravity of the blessing. 
the law amplifies sin and guilt that's already there. But the good news is this, verse 16, there is grace for the blessing. For this reason, it is by faith. For this reason, the blessing of God and justification is by faith. By what reason? Paul says, I'm glad you asked. Here's the answer. In order that, it's by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace. It's got to be by grace. So that the promise will be guaranteed. Why is it important? that salvation be by grace. Why is it important to say no one can earn God's forgiveness? Why is that such a big deal? Well, let me ask you this. If you can work yourself into heaven, who gets the credit for that? You do, right? Because you did the work. You get the paycheck. You get the wage. That's the essence of the law. The Paul already said nobody can keep it. But if it's by works, you get the glory. However, on the other hand, if it's by grace and God giving you something that you did not deserve, who gets the glory? All the glory goes to God alone. Glory to the Lord Jesus Christ for His saving act on the cross and the power of His resurrection. That's why it matters. It must be by faith so that it will be in accordance with grace so God gets the glory and not man. That's why it matters. The promise is through trusting in faith and God gets the glory and Paul says it must be this way. It must be by faith and not by works. It must. So that it would be in accordance with grace. God gets the glory. It's by grace we are saved through faith and that not of ourselves is the gift of God so that no one can boast. God gets the glory. Finally, we see the guarantee of the blessing in verse 16. Paul says, For this reason, it's by grace, it's by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the result is this. The promise will be guaranteed. A guarantee from God. You know, we get, we get all these guarantees today. You know, people trying to sell you stuff. Your money-back guarantee, and this and that. And sometimes you've got to read the fine print. Well, guess what? With God, the promise is guaranteed. We come to Him by faith and through His grace. The promise will be guaranteed. The promise. What promise? The promise made to Abraham. The promise made to Abraham that he would be blessed and through him all the nations would be blessed. The promise of descendants of, of, of the seed. The promise will be guaranteed to who? Well, To Abraham, yeah, but also look at this to all the descendants, to all of the seed, singular. The promise to Abraham is guaranteed to all of his seed, one seed, not only to those who are of the law, Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. That's the, that's the key right there. It's the faith of Abraham, who is what? Father of us all. It's the third time in our text today, verse 11. He's the father of all who believe without being circumcised. Verse 16, the promise of Abraham will be guaranteed to who? To all, emphatic, the seed. And then he goes on to say, the faith of Abraham who is father of us all. There's only one way to salvation. 
There's only one way to justification. Only one way to the righteousness of God being credited to your accounts. There's not two paths. Well, there's the path of the physical descendants. There's the path of the spiritual descendants. There's only one path. There's only one promise, and it is fulfilled. It's guaranteed to all who have the faith of Abraham. And Paul says the promise is given to the seed. What does he mean by that? Well, Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, Paul says, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. The promises of Abraham are given to Christ. Not to Jew, not to Gentile. The promises of Abraham are given to Christ because he is the one who fulfills it all. He's the embodiment of the law, the fulfillment of all the promises of Abraham. The only righteous one who has earned this is Christ. And then Paul says, Galatians 3.29, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. That is the key. It's not physical circumcision. It's not obedience to the law because nobody can keep it. It's not about being a descendant of Abraham because Jesus even argues against that in the Gospels. It's about faith. Are you a person who trusts in the revealed promises of God? Because the promise given to Abraham is guaranteed to all the seed to those who are in Christ. Jew, Gentile, the body of Christ. There is one body of Christ. His church, Jew and Gentile together as one. And that was God's original design from the very beginning. That's his point in sending Christ to unite the world and the globe and all peoples, all families, all nations as one family of God. Children of Abraham. Become a part of Abraham's family by trusting in Christ as your Lord and Savior. In the news recently, there's a U.S. senator who has gotten into some hot water over having a DNA test. She wanted to prove that she had Native American genetics and Native American DNA in her blood and all kinds of stink over that. But you know what? In order to be saved, in order to be just, in order to be right with God, you've got to have certain DNA. You've got to have Abraham's DNA. And you say, wait a minute, does that mean you've got to be an ethnic Jew? No, because Paul has argued it's not about the physical. Paul says the promise to Abraham is all about the spiritual. You've got to have the DNA of Abraham, and that comes through faith in Christ. Abraham trusted in the promise of God that somehow, some way, God would deliver him and keep his word, and God did that in Christ the seed of Abraham. Now, this side of the cross, we're looking back to the work of Jesus. And by trusting in Christ, dying for your sin, and being raised for your resurrection, you receive the DNA of Abraham. You become, according to Paul, a child of Abraham who is father of us all by faith, by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and His work for us. Therefore, faith is the key to the kingdom. It's not works. It's not genetics. It's faith 
in the promise of God, which God fulfilled in Abraham's seed, who is Christ Jesus. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your